an archaeologist, where the past is in the present and the facts don't matter. Today I am talking about archaeology in video games, and where you might not expect it to be. Today I have a special guest, uh, and Andrew Reinhardt, who is a self-described punk archaeologist. He'll be discussing with me some of the following things. Materiality in video games, whether archaeology can be represented as excavation, the theory of archaeology in video games in the discovery and searching, of course we'll also be talking about the Atari excavation, and also what the future holds for video games and archaeology, and what this all means. First of all, thank you for coming on the show, Andrew. Could you tell us a little bit about what it means to be a punk ar archaeologist? Uh, greetings from uh, my office in Princeton, New Jersey, um, which doesn't sound very punk, but I think punk is, is where you bring it, and punk is what you've got in yeah. your heart. Um, punk archaeology uh, was the, uh, the invention of uh, Bill Carraher at the University of North Dakota and Costis mm -hmm. Corellis at Franklin and Marshall College, both here in the States. Mm -hmm. And um, the movement started, I think, back in 2008 or 2009, where uh, we were considering um, the, uh, the archaeology of punk places. So, you know, old squatting houses and uh, old rock venues that had been converted to other things. Yeah. And going beyond that, um, we were thinking about uh, punk and punk archaeology specifically as a methodology, uh, basically mm -hmm. treating... Uh, kind of on-the-fly excavations uh, with a uh, feeding that with a do-it-yourself punk aesthetic. Mm. So bringing basically DIY to underfunded excavations, to excavations that needed personnel and volunteers, to uh, excavations um, of, of things that were typically overlooked by academia or by the establishment. Mm. Um, and uh, also injecting uh, archaeology with a sense of punk activism um, and uh, basically getting mad at stuff, for example, the Nazi war diggers program by the National Geographic Channel, oh, um, which we were, able to, we were able to, to tear that shit up. That was quite a victory. Um, and again, it was engaging a community, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and punk's always been, been big about, uh, you know, helping one another within, within yeah. that space, within that community and, and basically making resources available to one another. So if I've got stuff, I'm able to, or time or money or whatever, I can help you with your project. And then later on, you might help me with my project and, and uh, taking that kind of attitude as well. And coming out of a traditional graduate program um, and being trained as a classical archeologist, you know, I knew one way of doing things. And then by mm -hmm. hanging out with Bill and Costis and getting involved uh, with some of their projects and then ultimately doing the Atari dig um, as an official punk archeology span joint. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, that changed my life. And so, yeah, there's, there's no going back. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic. And I think we might have to bring you back for a bit more in-depth talking about actually punk archaeology. It could be a show in itself. Oh, we'd love to. Yeah, we got to get, <laughs> got to get Bill and got to get Costis as well. And there's, oh, we, we are legion now. We've, we've, we've crossed the pond. Uh, Lorna Richardson <laughs> at UCL is, is a member. Colleen Morgan at York is a member now. And uh, yeah, it's oh, awesome. Brilliant. So can you tell me a little bit about RQ Gaming? This is the blog you run, and uh, can you tell me a bit about the history? What, like, what made you do this, 
and w w like what is the blog for people who haven't come across it before? Um, sure, um, Archeo Gaming. Um, the uh, the web address is archeogaming.wordpress.com. Basically, I, I started it about a year ago um, to take a look at the archaeology in and of video games. So. Um, I was interested to see how archaeology and how archaeologists are portrayed in video games. I wanted to see if I could play video games, specifically MMOs, you know, massively multiplayer mm -hmm. uh, online role-playing yeah. games, to, uh, to be able to play as an archaeologist and do real archaeology in them. So not just a role-play, but actually doing some real science mm -hmm. in the games um, and, and to write about those experiences. And uh, I think... Uh, the last thing I wanted to do um, was to actually do some archaeology of real video games. You know, that is to say, working with yeah. with physical objects and that kind of material yeah. culture uh, in a real world environment. Um, and so, all of those uh, topics have been addressed, you know, so far within within mm -hmm. the blog. And um, I've got mo more posts coming up as I play Destiny by Bungie, as I play uh, No Man's Sky, um, as I play uh, Elder Scrolls Online, uh, mm -hmm. Wildstar. You know, all of these things that have an exploration component, that have an, uh, sometimes it's an archaeology component, sometimes treasure hunting, sometimes looting, yeah. um, and, and all of that, and being able to, to write on those. Plus, yeah. uh, once, uh, once the Atari Excavation uh, documentary comes out called, Arche called mm -hmm. Atari Game Over, um, for mm -hmm. Lightbox uh, Entertainment on Xbox Live, um, I'll be able to write about this fully as an archaeologist. And yeah. uh, so I'm really looking forward to doing all of those posts in the next few months. Yeah. You brought up the idea of collecting and looting. And I think that's kind of the first thing in terms of archaeology and video games that most people would consider. Like, for example, you have the uh, Far Cry 3, where you uh, collect statues um, that are obviously very old and you kind of have them as part of a collection but you don't really do anything with the statues. There are a few games where, you know, basically the past is almost like a... it's a, it's a token. It's almost like a... it's just a different colour sheet for just collecting items. And I just want to know, what's your kind of opinion on that kind of portrayal of the past being something collectible? Uh, no, that's a good question. Um, I mean, and and it's not just uh, unique to Far Cry Three. I mean, you'll find this throughout, you know, many games. You know, everything from from World of Warcraft, you know, mm -hmm. to to Skyrim, where where you're basically, you know, going through, and you know, this is just something that you pick up. And I, I kind of a, equate this to a, like doing a surface survey. You know, mm -hmm. I'm out in a new field. I'm out, uh, you know, on the plot, and I am. I'm going and methodically picking stuff up, and a lot, you know, all this stuff is random drops uh, and all. And mm -hmm. you know, in some games, it's just kind of a feather in your cap. Oh, look what I found! Um, sometimes you get achievements yeah. for this stuff, and uh, you know, other times these actually do things for you. Now, granted, in, in the game environment, it's usually some kind of magic, some kind of buff, yeah. some kind of ward, you know, something like this. Um, occasionally, you can combine pieces and get a mount or something like that, which, yeah. is pretty, which is pretty cool, you know, which is totally like the real world. Um, <laughs> if only. <laughs> oh I'm pretty sure archaeologists will be, like, hailed as, like, heroes if we could dig stuff up and have it do magical things. <laughs> You know, that's, everybody wants that, and I think that's part of the fantasy of these kinds of video games, is that, is that they're yeah. actually, you know, the gamers, the gaming community is actually creating the need and then, then creating the games to kind of fill that need, because why we play is to get away from the real yeah. world. But uh, 
this habit of collecting, this habit of looting, I mean, that's what it's called. I mean, that's the verb you use. You loot a corpse, you know, you, you go yeah. and, and, uh, and, you know, you loot these artifacts from, from, you know, various dungeons and caves and grottos and whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, in some ways, you know, I find that kind of a harmful procedure and, and I personally, I like doing this in the game world, but I feel really guilty about it. And I don't know if I'm the only one who feels that way, you know, where you're kind of, kind of propagating this looting culture within the gaming world, but you're supposed to do it. And, you know, this gets into the debate, like, you know, we're talking like, if you play Call of Duty, then you must like guns and shooting people in real life and stuff. And then yeah. it's like, well, you know, does the same kind of logic apply where, you know, if I'm looting stuff in a game, does that mean I'm naturally predisposed to go out and, and, and pocket things when I'm on a site? Well, the, the uh, sorry. Uh, uh, well, another thing that the problem with the way objects are created in a video game is that they're all, when you're collecting, they're universal, you know, so every object you know, that you collect in terms of numbers is the same object just over and over again. Oh, sure. But when you're in the field, when you're digging up from a site, obviously you're going to get artifacts that might seem similar and might be similar in style, might be similar in utility, but actually don't have, you know, their points of reference to one another and their relation is not dependent on those lines that you've drawn to separate the items so the thing is video games simplify things into just almost like economic kind of senses of you need this number of this or you need this number of this you need this plus this plus this you know it's all very much in terms of like numbers rather than relations that can exist outside yeah. you know what we kind of say is the best way to split these items up you know what i mean yeah i do um you know you, you look at uh, games where you get stacks of things. You have to get a stack of 10 things to make something else that's even better. Um, and so you've got that going on. And yeah, everything you pick up that's part of that stack looks exactly the, looks exactly the same. You find it in, in similar places or you get it dropped by you know, similar monsters or whatever. Um, when, uh, you know, and, and, and thinking ahead, you know, to future game developments, and I'm wondering if No Man's Sky is actually going to going to do this because with with no man's sky you're looking at unique world creations on the fly as it happens as you explore i mean these worlds haven't been thought up by the creators the computer algorithm is doing this and so you know it's going to be generating similar kinds of artifacts but maybe somewhat slightly different you know in every different case i'm also hoping you know to see um these kind of smart designs in in future mmos where you might get a pot that looks like another pot, but it's got a different kind of crack on it, uh, or it's got a mm. different kind of chip on it. You know, just something a little random to make it a little bit different than its neighbor and give it that kind of unique feel because, you know, in the real world, that's what you're getting. You might get yeah. all these coarse pottery shirts that are of the same fabric and about the same size and look a bit the same, but they're all from different vessels. Um, so, you know, it'd be really refreshing, um, you know, from at least from a collector's point of view yeah. and also from an archaeological point of view to, to find these things and, you know, why is it like this and how is it different, similar to its neighbors and... and and, and how is it different? How do you feel about the representation of possibly, you know, uh, digging in video games? You know, the actual dirty work that archaeologists have to do, but translate into a video game. I personally don't really see that happening as a direct kind of like first person like digger, you know, where you kind of, you know, slowly unearth stuff, you know, because as much as I'm sure there are people who really love digging it is a very 
repetitive it can be a very repetitive thing oh, yeah. uh, especially for those who aren't really obsessed with soil samples in particular <laughs> um but you, you know the, the thing is that like representing like a, a first person digger would be quite difficult so if we're talking about representing archaeology as archaeology as it's done in the real world how do you think that is in video games rather than you know the kind of theory of archaeology doing archaeology in different settings more of the actual physical side of archaeology in video games yeah uh, i'll tell you uh, i kind of give that the current state of things an f minus um you know to, to the developers Good. of video games you know basically a failing grade and and i'll tell you why i mean well I, and let me qualify that. There's one game that does this reasonably well, and it's called Roman Town. Uh, Roman Town. It's it's not like a first-person shooter or an RPG or something. It's mm -hmm. it's a, it's a game about archaeology and featuring archaeology and artifacts, and it kind of instructs people mm -hmm. about what archaeology does and how it works in, in a very fun yeah. kind of way. And there, you're actually moving the trowel around and you're digging squares and things, and you kind of move your mouse, and then the trowel does its thing, and then all of a sudden you find a floor, you find some artifacts, and then you brush them yeah. off and stuff. And you know that's that's good, and the time is accelerated, so you don't get colossally bored by it, um, <laughs> and you don't have to exercise extreme care. Like like you normally would on site. So, you know, that comes the closest. But as far as like a real popular, you know, humongously successful mm -hmm. major uh, label video game, you know, like like in World of Warcraft, for example, they, they debuted, and I think, I don't know if it was a Burning Crusade um, or Cataclysm, uh, where they debuted the archaeology profession or the skill. You actually use a theatolite and it's kind of a, a hotter, colder type of thing where you set up your theatolite and you're like, well, I'm pretty close. And then you get a little closer and like, I'm a little closer. And it gives you these little, little symbols or whatever. And then all of a sudden you dig and you get a piece of something. And then you have to go off, you have, you have to go into a different region and you've got to dig up something similar. And then ultimately you put the stuff together and you mend a pot or whatever. And then all of a sudden you've, you've got something. Sometimes it's crap and sometimes it's really cool, but not, not really archeology. span um, Wait a minute. Is that dowsing? That's, that's, that's dowsing. That's not archeology. span uh, since when did archaeologists like have like hold a stick and be like, oh yeah, no, no, I'm I'm really looking for Roman stuff, Roman stuff. Oh yes, here the stick's bending, the stick's bending. Oh damn it, it's oh, it's the pits, it's the oh, it's the pits. Nobody cares about this the is, pits. This is you, you hit the nail on the head. I hadn't thought about the dousing analogy, but you're totally right because you know it's like man. I would really like some dwarven stuff and I'm getting a bunch of night elf crap and it's like, man, this is no good. Um, but you're, yeah, you're exactly right. See, to me that, that seems more like that, that is almost like you could say that's me going down to an orchard to get apples to make apple cider. Yeah. Like what you're doing is you're going to a specific area, picking something up and making something with it. It's not really archeology. span yeah, no, you're, 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 you're totally right. Now, you go into you know, something like the Elder Scrolls environment, and you get to like go and rifle corpses or mummies or whatever and see what kind of, if money falls out or jewels yeah. or, or, or you know, usable gear or something. And that's, and, and that's cool, um, I suppose. Um, you never really kind of dig anything. You might click on an active area, and you wait a couple of seconds, and you see what happens. And... And you know that's all that's all well and good. Um, when I was playing Skyrim, uh, and you know this is true for a lot of the lore-heavy series where there's there's a, just a ton of history about all of these different races and cultures and civilizations and everything, which is really cool. Skyrim mm -hmm. really came the closest in in uh, 
you know, bringing a player you know, into that environment where I could just mm -hmm. sit there for a week and read books. And it didn't, you know, occasionally it would give me, a, a, you know, I'd increase a level in, in uh, you know, smithing or something. But, but most of the time it was just reading about history, reading journals and, and things like that. And I thought that was really cool. And that's not something that yeah. you, you find in other kinds of games where you can just kind of sit in a library and read all day. Um, and I love that. And, and you can do it just to do it. And, and that's fine. But as far as the digging goes and the digging mechanics, um, yeah, we've got a long way to go mm -hmm. on that. So, if we haven't got the physical mechanics, that would lead us on to kind of thinking about archaeological theory. And of course, for those not really too familiar with archaeological theory, archaeological theory is all over the place. It's got a little bit of everything. Uh, wouldn't you say, Andrew? It's got a little bit of philosophy, a bit of sociology, a bit of kind of like history. It's got a lot of things mixed together in a big huge boiling pot. And the way we kind of interpret things is very often very, very complex. But I want to take actually your Skyrim example. And uh, I was wondering, does this sound like an, an archaeologically minded idea? So what you do is you select a number of ancient Nord tombs. And what you do is you map out the tomb from the start to the finish. Now, what we know about these tombs is that usually they have a beginning, a middle, and when you get to the final room, there's always a little tiny kind of rock that you can move to the side to get you straight back to the start. Yeah, right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. So, I always wondered what that little rock was for. Was it for the fact that people needed to get out after they got to the final room? So, you know, like when they were burying somebody and they carried them the whole way through... They couldn't go back the way they came, so instead they go out the little side door, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah. and that's how they leave. Yeah. I mean, well, that, 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 that's assuming that 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 element mm -hmm. was there prior to the burial, you know. Uh, yeah. Who's not to say that that they didn't bring it with them and uh -huh. set it up and then bury and then touch it and go? Yeah, and that's 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 another quite interesting thing because what could you possibly infer about ancient Nord burials from the fact that there is this little side piece for people to leave? It kind of suggests that people can't go back through the way they came. And we know that, obviously, I don't want to spoil too much of Skyrim if somebody hasn't actually played it, but there's a lot of talk about Nord mythology and to do with, like, cycles, that things are quite secular. And, you know, when you view ancient Nord tombs through a cycle, you could suggest that, you know, th they do see life as a one-way trip. You know, you can't physically go back. And that's represented in the fact that they feel they can't go physically back through the cave the same way they went into it. I know that's interpreting quite a lot, but I'm just saying, is that... That, to me, is the archaeology in video games that isn't to do with material digging or to, you know, the way archaeologists are represented. Yeah, you know, um, in, in playing that game, you know, not a lot of players are going to be picking up on this. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really curious to see if, if the game designers, you know, consciously made those kinds of decisions mm -hmm. saying, okay, we're dealing with this particular culture. They follow an arrow of time uh, and, you know, mm -hmm. thereby you know, providing this, this mode of exit, you know, the, the, mm -hmm. the cynical part of me says, you know, yeah. a, a typical player is just going to want to get the hell out. They don't want to go yeah. back the way they came and all of that stuff. And I totally understand it in a way, mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, whenever I clear a dungeon, you know, or or space like that, I, I like to go back through, see what I've missed, mm -hmm. or look at the art. I take a bunch of screenshots, um, and, and and document and and, mm -hmm. and the like. Um, I, I do mm -hmm. think that 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 concept um, of of thinking about the culture, uh, you know, when you're when you're kind of taking this journey, you know, through mm -hmm. through the tunnels to to get to the end point. Um, is something not a lot of people think about, but I, but I think that they should, you know, because there there are other. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, you know, which ones, but there are other other cultures and, and environments that you can go in where it is a circle. You go to the end, you come back out the way you came. But specifically for the yeah. Nords, I mean, you have this this kind of exit point. Um, so no, yeah. that, that's something I hadn't considered, but uh, you know, that, that's really yeah. interesting. And what actually I think is one of what I would argue is that the virtual world that is created. It's in the same space as any ter interpretation. So, for example, if I had information and data from a site and I decide to build up from scratch a virtual representation of it in a 3D engine and then, you know, would write some an interpretation together and piece together a project, both of those occupy the same space. Are you with me on that? Yes. And thus video games give people an active kind of representation of the past. It's not a passive one in which they kind of absorb. It's a past that they can actually go through and experience to a much higher level. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And this, this happens in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, if you go back to the Skyrim example, and occasionally you'll see this in WoW too, is, is you can go through in... In your current time, and you can explore something that was built in the past, the stones, mm -hmm. artifacts, and mobs from the past, or whatever that you have to get. Um, and so, you know, you've you've got that representation going on too. And occasionally, you know, you'll you'll be involved in flashbacks, or you'll take some kind of potion that is a time traveling potion, and all of a sudden, you are there in that moment where the tunnels are fresh. You know, the tomb is new and there's a ritual happening in front of you and you have to participate in this. And what do you do? Um, and, uh, you know, that I think is a really, you know, kind of an archaeologist's dream is mm -hmm. to, to actually go and test those theories. You know, if we're thinking about these tombs in these ways, we don't really know. And that's mm -hmm. been one of the most frustrating things about archaeology, I think, for a lot of people who are kind of new to the discipline mm -hmm. is that we don't have the answers. We have yeah. really good guesses. Um, mm -hmm. But we're never 100% sure um, if this is something that really happened or was used in a specific way. Um, one of my uh, anthropology professors in college used to say that if you found something you didn't know what it was, it was either a religious artifact or a child's toy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, you could be right 50% of the time. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so being able to explore these uh, these virtual spaces in real in real time, you know, now or going back in the past to explore them as they were used, you know, that's those are two different things, um, you know, but but kind of towards the same end. What do you think about like obviously video games? People understand the illusion in front of them you know when they're playing the game they know they're playing a game and you know when we've said before you know the cynicism of what that final door in the skyrim tombs represents yeah. is it just to go back to the start you know that is a very you know, like that's a prominent consideration because we know what we're seeing is constructed does that mean that when we represent the past if we, for example, broke the fourth wall, if we kind of destroyed the image that we'd shown to people of the past in front of their very eyes, 
how would they like how would that be a better would that better describe the almost like plural kind of interpretations that can exist so for example you know you're going through what looks as if it's a standard viking village but then suddenly we turn it on its head and you know we kind of like we, we just distort the whole image we we bring uh everything kind of into nothing and we create a completely different scenario that looks that positionally all the objects and ideas are all there the same but they're completely reinterpreted and I think that's what, for me, is very important with video games, is you can mess with a player, and you can provide a narration. Because at the end of the day, your interpretation is always going to be, in some way, subjective, because you're trying to describe the meaning out of the past that you have. So, by reinforcing that, you're able to give people the idea that it is an interpretation, and the kind of the meaning that that brings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I like those ideas. I think uh, as a player, um, you know, when I'm playing these games, I'm I'm really, you know, still kind of locked into real world physics. You know, I expect gravity to do what it does. I expect to, you know, be able to open things the way I open them, or pick things up, or or mm. or, or fight, you know, with with real physical mechanics and such. And you know, I think a lot of players, you know, think in that same way. Even though we know that we're playing a game, I think we can lose ourselves enough, you know, to, to get lost in that world. Yeah. And and the game developers, you know, are are banking on that so that they can have a bit of fun uh, or make things challenging and whatnot. Um, but I tell you, when we talk about the fourth wall, um, you know, there are already people hard at work in developing games uh, that are playable within Oculus Rift. And, you know, um, the game that, that you're playing with a little bit uh, either today or yesterday um, that I was playing with uh, over the past week, which is called Buried, um, who was, was written by uh, Tara Copplestone over at York. And, you know, that was one of her projects. But what she's really working on is virtual reality and augmented reality gaming with Oculus Rift and being able to create these kind of explorable environments where you put the helmet on and you've got you know you've got the audio going on and you can't tell the difference you, it, it's it's real to you and and in that case you know are the game developers going to you know continue to exercise kind of real physics or are they going to leave are they going to leave you know those stones or obelisks there for people to touch and, and escape or or is this going to be are they going to go to a hyper real uh, mm-hmm. kind of world you know depending on what they want to do um, yeah i don't know i'm, I'm really excited yeah. to see um, how how these worlds and cultures are created, you know, for Oculus Rift once it comes down to you know something that's that's tenable and affordable for mm-hmm. the average player. Isn't it? Isn't there a problem though with making things hyper real? As in, when they are hyper real, people accept what they're seeing without any criticality. Whereas in archaeology, that understanding of criticality, the understanding that interpretation is a reflection of the person doing it, and that it could be completely wrong, it's a, you know, it's a guess, isn't it, wouldn't it be better to be able to demonstrate that kind of uncertainty? You know, in, I don't know if you've played Bioshock Infinite. Uh, I haven't, I've played uh, Bioshock 1 and 2, but I haven't played Infinite. Bioshock Infinite is possibly one of the better games for representing multiple dimensions. And um, um, uh, that's not a spoiler, guys. That's not a spoiler. But, like, the way it represents these different dimensions as existing, uh, like, alongside the first dimension, but with things kind of changed here and there. And, like, 
what it means is you never really know which dimension you're actually kind of in because you keep jumping through all these dimensions you are activating bits of dimensions here and there you you know it makes you kind of question what's actually going on ultimately you know but you know that you have the sense of saying actually i'm not kind of sure what's going on i'm trying to piece it together from my experience wouldn't it be wouldn't it be more kind of true to archaeology to demonstrate the past as this kind of like bits and pieces of all these possible worlds kind of stitched together? Which what you're describing is the stratigraphy of a trench. You know, I, I, I've seen I've seen pieces like this, and and maybe a lot of your listeners have 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 been on excavation where you go down and the stratigraphy is a mess. You know, there's there's holes that have been dug in the past. There's you know, there are things that uh, are above things that shouldn't be above things that, you know, the soil doesn't go in these nice horizontal levels. They're all over the place. They change color subtly. You might miss floors, um, you know, as you're digging down. Um, you've got, uh, you know, artifacts that are intruding from more recent times down to earlier times, and you've got to figure that out. And, and yeah, so when you go in there, there's nothing neat and tidy about it. And every time is just the hardest puzzle you've ever tried to put together. And this is each time you go in the field. Um, so having these, having games, you know, as you described Bioshock Infinite, I, I think is more of a closer approximation about the challenges that face real archaeologists in real time, as opposed to having everything kind of neat and tidy and very well rendered, which, which is you know, almost impossible to find in the field. <laughs> yeah. I want to actually get on to digging, because obviously you are one of the excavators at the Atari dig. Can you give us a bit of uh, background about why Atari dumped all these games in the middle of the desert? And, uh, what, like, what? Uh, how did you get involved with the project? Yeah, um, I tell you... In June 2013, there was a press release that got circulated globally. Um, it just went viral that the city of Alamogordo, New Mexico, had granted a film company, in this case it was Fuel Entertainment, that later would partner with Lightbox, which is uh, Microsoft's um, creative and entertainment agency um, that had been tasked to create 10 documentaries for a series about tipping points in technology history. And and so, you know, I had blogged about this over on Archeo Gaming, and I had actually written Fuel Entertainment to ask them how they were going to handle the archaeology. Um, as I as I see it, you know, these video games, um, you know, from Atari, and uh, to give you a little bit of backstory here, um, Atari back in the early 1980s was, you know, it was the top of the pops as far as as gaming companies are concerned, but they really didn't understand you know, who they were selling to. They didn't understand you know, the market of gamers actually could think um, and wanted good products. And so, you know, they would overproduce things. They would create crap games and whatnot and just put, a, put them in a nice box and send them out and people would buy them. Um, and they would let it go at that. And they really got burned because in 1982, they put out E.T., which was, I think, the first video game with a movie tie-in. Um, yeah. And they only gave the game creator, Howard Warshaw, like six weeks to create this thing. And, and you know, six weeks is not enough time to do anything, much less make a, nope. make a game. And so he was really under the gun and did the best, with, best job with what he could. You know, people say that E.T. was the worst game of all time. It's really bad, but I wouldn't fault the programmer because his hands were tied. They said, you know, we need to get this out for Christmas. 
um, and and you need to do this right away. And Atari spent I think two and a half million to get the rights from Steven Spielberg, and and so there was a lot of pressure on. Well, they made five million copies of the game, and I think that the ultimate sales figures were like something like they sold 1.5 million, um, and of those, maybe 500,000 got returned. Um, so Atari was stuck. You know, they have this warehouse in El Paso, Texas, which is you know about 90 miles. Uh, Nine miles from uh, Alamogordo, and so Atari's like, you know, look, we got to get rid of these things. And so um, Alamogordo gave him a good deal for dumping, and so they sent a bunch of trucks out into the desert and they dumped it in a landfill owned by the city, and uh, they put some uh, globs of concrete over it and they they dumped them thirty feet down um, in this big big cell that they had dug specifically, um, you know, for for uh, for this purpose. And so the the thing was, well, is it all Atari? Is it all ET games? Is there hardware down there? Are there other games that they put in there? Is this all broken merchandise, returned merchandise, new merchandise? What is it? And so it became this urban legend, even though it was reported, I think there was a small story in the New York Times in 83 and a small piece in the Alamogordo Daily News also in 83. Uh -huh. So, you know, they have some of this stuff out there in the world, but for the most part, people started treating this as a big conspiracy theory. I mean, it has <laughs> an entry on Snopes uh, and everything. And so, and so uh, you know, the filmmakers... Um, the director was Zach Penn, who uh, got story credit for the Avengers, and he's directed you know X Men Two and and uh, Incident at Loch Ness and the like. Um, you know, he and I are about the same age, and he and you know I'm I'm 42 now, and and so you know we grew up with Atari, we played Atari as kids, and uh, and so he was really curious to see if the legend was true and to go out and dig it up, and so they got permission to do this. Um, my question went unanswered for about two months and I got a telephone call, uh, from Lightbox basically saying, Hey, you know, do you, do you want to come out and do this? <laughs> like, are you kidding? Let's, <laughs> let's go. And so they let me pick my team. And so I picked uh, a couple of punk archeologists, uh, to take with me. And we partnered up with a punk historian, Rayford Gwynns, uh, from SUNY Stony Brook, um, who, uh, wrote a book on, on the history of, of video games and which included a chapter on this excavation. And so he came out there to advise us and to help us identify things and everything. So yeah, um, come April, uh, April 24th, 25th, we were out there and we were digging on the 25th and then we finally hit the Atari level on the 26th. That's great. Yeah. Um, I wish we could take credit for actually finding or locating what was, I guess you call it the fine spot, you know, for, for digging down, um, the original landfill owner, um, had uh, books of photographs that his wife had been collecting, and so uh, his name is Joe Lewandowski, and he was able to pinpoint um, roughly where he thought the games had been placed. Uh, and there were some eyewitnesses, and there were some kids who were still living in the Alamogordo area who had actually gone and looted the site and stolen oh, wow. you know, some of these Atari games that had been dropped in the hole before it got backfilled uh, you know, back in 83. And so they were able to put this, these pieces of the story together, and then finally we were all able to converge at the same time and have a bunch of people out there while we excavated. And so, no, it was, uh, it was cool. So what did you, what can you tell me about what you find? Or is it kind of a bit wrapped up until the documentary's released? Well, I can, I can tell you some stuff. Um, the, the documentary, I know they're doing a panel at San Diego Comic-Con on July 25th. Uh, and... Uh, then I think the cat's out of the bag. The documentary is going to come out either in late July or early August for Xbox subscribers, and then I think ultimately to DVD. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, we were digging out. Uh, they had an excavator 
um, you know, machine, you know, a digger, um, yeah. that was enormous that basically we were treating this as a salvage excavation. We had a short amount of time because of New Mexico's environmental constraints. We were digging in a yeah. landfill. They, they didn't know if there were going to be heavy metals or any kind of toxicity down there or whatever. So we had a very limited time to dig. So we, we did what was called a puncture, which is basically you dig a hole to where you think you're going to find the most stuff to confirm that it's there. And then with the time remaining to, to, try to excavate with care what's coming out of the ground. It was too dangerous and the soil sides were too, or the, the sides of the trenches were too unstable um, just because of the sand and everything that we weren't allowed in the hole. Basically the digger had to go and dump things for us to look at at the side of the hole so we didn't fall in and kill ourselves. Um, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't even, because we were all like, let's yeah. ride in the bucket, let's ride down in the bucket. And they're like, <laughs> no freaking way. Um, so in any case, uh, we had to do the best with what we had, which, which is punk, you know, you kind of, you know, deal with what you're yeah. given and you make the best, you know, do the best with it. So, you know, we started digging down through trash and we found dirt and then a layer of trash and a layer of dirt and a layer of trash. And we're like, this is pretty good stratigraphy. And, 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 uh, you know, as we went down, we were finding newspapers and phone books and catalogs that all had dates on them. So we're like, okay, here are the nineties. Here's the late eighties. We're getting close guys. Here's 1984. We're really close. <laughs> um, we dig up, dug up a Donnie and Marie poster. So we knew we were really close. We found, um, we found bottles with old Pepsi logos on them. We found cans with pop tops on them. Um, and, uh, and you know, we got down to the Christmas level. There's like a Christmas 1983 level. We found an old Christmas tree down there. We found, um, a bag of green grass clippings, uh, still because it's an anaerobic environment, so nothing had decayed. Um, we found a porno. Um, it was a, I think, December 1983 Club Magazine with Seika on the cover, um, <laughs> and so we found that. Yeah, our historian's like, "Look, guys, look!" You know, I'm like, "God, put it back. We didn't get the context. You know, we didn't photograph it or anything." He's like, "Oh man." <laughs> so, so you know, we're taking video of all this. We're recording. I had a microphone with me to record what we were you know, discovering. And so basically we go through these piles of junk that were being dumped for us uh, until finally um, the bucket came up and it had nothing but Atari in it. And we're like, oh my God, there's nothing but Atari games in this. And right on top is an ET cartridge. I'm like, oh my God. So so one of my guys, uh, Dr. Richard Rothus, um, who uh, uh, runs a place called uh, Trefoil um, uh, Cultural and Environmental, um, he, uh, you know, he found the first ET game and he's like, okay, here we go. And so the film make, film crew came over and the director came over and then we walked it up. And so if you look online, you'll see me and the film director holding up this game, um, you know, and we were photographed and appeared in these news outlets all over the world, you know, from the 26th and the 27th. It was crazy. Yeah. My mom was like, oh my God, you're in the paper. I'm like, yeah, how about that? <laughs> um, so, uh, so, you know, we, we found, I think ultimately we excavated about 1,300 games. Uh, we photographed them, we cataloged them, um, we sorted them. And, you know, there's a lot of ET, but there's a lot of other stuff too. And this stuff wasn't just damaged. This was plastic wrapped. These were new games in boxes. These were new games in boxes of boxes um, that were destined for Walmart or Target. They just got dumped. Um, and, you know, the, the archaeological activist in me um, is wondering who's going to pay to clean up the e-waste because, you know, at the conclusion of the dig, you know, it was all backfilled to keep everybody safe, you know, the fill in the hole and everything. But I don't know if there are any plans to actually go back and excavate, you know, the potentially hundreds of thousands of games that are in there. Um, you know, rumor has it that there's, there's a lot more than what we found and, you know, all evidence would point to, to, to that being the fact. And so, you know, who's going to come back, dig all that up, um, and, and, uh, dispose of it in the proper way 
while at the same time having some archaeologists there who were going through and, and doing the photographing and documenting and, and everything prior to the stuff being trucked away and either recycled or destroyed. Um, so, so yeah, that's that question has been unanswered and uh, nobody's nobody's getting back. <laughs> so I don't know what to do about this. I'm going to keep yelling. But if people are interested in seeing the documentary coming up, are you featured in the documentary? Do you make a lot of appearance? You know, I, ha I haven't seen it. Um, and I, part of me wants to and part of me doesn't because, you know, it's uncomfortable to see oneself on camera. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've never been in a film before, and so, you know, I don't know what to do. But, but I think the answer is yes. I mean, they brought me up to New York, uh, which is only an hour by train uh, from Princeton, and I sat with the director and we did an interview for about an hour, and so they might, there might be some excerpts from that interview yeah. as far as what I think we're going to find and how we're preparing and what are we going to do. Um, and then the camera crews were there rolling the entire time the excavation was happening. I mean, they had all kinds of cameras and all kinds of guys, all kinds of mics and everything. So yeah, so yeah I mean... You know, I'm I'm part of it. My team is a part of it. Um, the Alamogordo city workers are a part of it. Um, they had a bunch of other of other characters and people coming. You know, Howard Warshaw, the developer, was there. Uh, one of the Atari executives was there. Yeah. Um, Ernie Klein, who wrote Ready Player One and Fanboys, was there. And and so you know, there are all those interviews and everything too. Plus, there was a crowd of like three or four hundred people who showed up to watch. Um, and so they're all in it. And it's it's yeah, it's mm -hmm. incredible. It's this. It was kind of a happening uh, while we were trying to do real archaeology. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, it's you know, it, it's all in the film. It's yeah. And if people want to find the film, when uh, where can they find it? It's coming out on Xbox. Uh, yeah, if, if they uh, if they have an Xbox account, you know, Xbox Live or whatever, and they're using Xbox One or uh, Xbox Three Hundred and Sixty, then they'll be able to get first access to the film. Um, and you know, it's just, just part of their package. And yeah. I think, I think later, um, it'll be coming out on DVD. Um, and, uh, I know I'll, I'll hopefully get a copy by then. It sounds like a cultural event, you know, like it, it seriously sounds like something you'd find at Stonehenge, you know, people digging up and like quite something quite recent no that's that's totally true um you know i was uh twitter blew up we broke twitter that day um <laughs> and we broke facebook that day um and i remember a friend of mine tweeting um saying this is like the moon landing you know because <laughs> so many people had invested so much time and energy thinking about this legend and thinking about you know are they going to find it nobody knows where it is and all of this stuff yeah. and all of a sudden we like found it and and all of a sudden the internet just blew up you know we were trending we were on the front page of the cutter newspaper you know that's yeah. just crazy it's like i'm in uh -huh. forbes and whatever and it's like oh my god so people were you know were excited because the legend was true and there are those who argue that it wasn't a legend people were just being stupid um you know because <laughs> it had been published in a freaking newspaper back in 83 so you know i get it yeah but at the same time people are really excited that you know this mm -hmm. is the first this was the first as far as i know this was the first archaeological excavation using archaeological methods um that had been done on a cache of video games. You know, nobody had done a video game excavation before for this kind of media. So it was media archaeology. Uh, my friend Bill Carabin yeah. said it's the, the archaeology of late capitalism. Um, you know, it's archaeogaming in a very raw form, in a very real form. So, you know, we call it what you will. It was damn cool. Um, and it caught a lot of people's imaginations. Wow. That is, that is, that is really cool. And I'm really, I'm really kind of 
a little starstruck to actually be even talking to you, man. <laughs> you know, like, you're one of those guys that everybody knows. Everybody knows that one. That dig, everybody knows. I'm, like, sitting here talking to you, like, it's, it's like, it's no problem at all. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I, was at a, I was at a party uh, last week or two weeks ago, and... Uh, people are just making conversation because they know I'm an archaeologist. They're like, oh, yeah, did you hear yeah. about the dig about the Atari stuff? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was me and some guys. And they're like, oh, really? I'm like, yeah, here, here's, look at my phone. And I showed them a bunch of pictures that haven't been published yet. <laughs> like, oh, my God. So, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's it, it's been a ride for sure. It's been a, a, the highlight of my of my young career, um, and I'm really for, looking forward to seeing you know what else is next. What other kind of weird projects are coming up that fall under the aegis of archaeogaming, of punk archaeology, and uh, public archaeology too. Well, that actually segues really nicely onto the last little bit of the show. Uh, I want to kind of talk about you know cultural preservation of video games and also what the future holds for video games and archaeology. Obviously, you know when you have a video game, especially something that has a big projected three d world and has something you know as we mentioned before, you know almost real da- data in virtual worlds. Could one possibly use it as a store of data? Because, you know, there has been some talk um, about the way some data is stored. And there are storage methods that were used in the 70s and 80s that are nowadays very difficult to access. There's also, you know, old file systems that people don't use anymore. So, is it possible that a video game could provide like a storage of a like a summation of data you know for future generations and what do you think about that you bet you know i think it's already happening now especially you know by companies like blizzard uh or bethesda where um there are these data repositories that are kept by the companies so, and 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 actually players can can uh, if they've got a mod or something uh or if they've got an account with blizz they can actually look up and see you know, like how many times they've been killed and by what, uh, and you know, how how many how many mobs have they slain and how many things have they looted and all of this stuff and and so you know the players get access to this data and this data is you know residing on server farms you know these these humongous mm-hmm. corporations and whatever so the data is being collected and the numbers are being crunched and everything um, so so yeah I think it's happening now I think it'll certainly happen in the future because that data is really interesting and plenty of people. Um, have been vested in studying the economy of virtual worlds. You know, again, going back to the WoW example, uh, and, and seeing how how the economy works with with auctions and and with with gold and, and things like that, and you know how all that's happening. And I think that's that's a very big part of what archaeology is too. I mean, we, we're dealing with data every day, and to be able to see like how many things are being produced and who's taking what and putting it where, I, I think it, the, those are some really awesome questions. Um, you know, having played the beta for Elder Scrolls Online, I haven't played the, the full game yet because I've been yeah. trying to get through some other stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, there's so much to do, right? Uh, so, so, you know, my query was, you know, in, in a massively multiplayer online environment like this, you know, if I take a, pick up a pot and I drop it, you know, in a different continent, um, is it going to stay there? Are there going to be these big trash middens, um, you know, that are popping up? People are just discarding their their uh, their junk. Um, and 
you know, because like in WoW, you log out and that stuff disappears. You know, that's not yeah. real world stuff. You know, I want to see, I want to see trash heaps. I want to see, you know, garbage <laughs> pits. I want to see all this stuff. I mean, that's what we deal with anyway. So, but isn't that the that the issue with video games? That video games are idealistic at best. They're pristine environments because you only render what you create. You know, whereas the real world is there for you to uncover. When you're creating a virtual world, it has to be created. It's like the artist, you know, paints, but they can't paint something that isn't shown in the picture that they're painting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. So isn't that an issue with video games, though, when you're talking about trash and middens and stuff? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think so. And I think that, that having something like that with a number of players who are playing this, it's going to eat up an awful lot of server space to keep track of all of those elements. And I think it would just ultimately break the game because there's no amount of memory, yeah. you know, that, that can, uh, you know, that can that handle that kind of stuff. And yes. I don't know that there yes. will be. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what, you know, and other things, and I, I've been wondering this too, because it, I don't see this happening in games like Call of Duty yet, although I, th I think there this might be. I, you know, Diablo 3 tried this for a bit, um, mm -hmm. where there's real-world physics and, and the act of destruction of architecture. You know, so, you know, let's say I'm, I'm playing, you know, Call of Duty or something, and I'm, I'm, I'm out in the Middle East, and I'm blowing stuff up, and I happen to, you know... Have be involved in a firefight around a museum or something. You know, are there bullet holes gonna gonna show up? Am I gonna break windows? Am I gonna destroy artifacts? Is the wall gonna come tumbling down? And the next time I log in, or the next time other players are in, is it gonna look like that? You know, or is it gonna respawn or regenerate? Like like a persistent map, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. No, I'd, I'd, I'd like to see that. I mean, I don't want to blow any museums up or go and loot them or whatever. Sure. <laughs> You're, we, we, this is a complete, like, you know, we, we know now. We know now. We've got on record. So if anybody in America sees a museum blow up, I've got, I've got on record, guys. Got it on record. <laughs> he's, he also says he's a punk. <laughs> Anarchist. Get him. <laughs> Oh my god. What about the future of archaeology in video games? Maybe it's portrayal, maybe where it's going to go. I mean, do you have any idea? Like, obviously, we want to get away from Uncharted and Tomb Raider as much as we can. Those games are, yeah, I mean, those games are fun, but man, they they really send the wrong message. Um, you know, and so part of me is like, yeah, live and let live. And, and another part of me is like, no, we have to do something about this. Um, one of the things that I was thinking of, and I've blogged about this before, um, is you know basically uh, making achievements or giving buffs for good behavior around cultural heritage in a game. You know, um, I, I have found an artifact and I repatriate it to the tomb where it was taken from, as opposed to keeping it and selling it at auction. You know, that gives me an achievement mm -hmm. or that gives me a buff or something. You know, that'd be awesome. Um, you know, give me points, um, give me a title, you know, if I repatriate X number of artifacts, if I, um, you know, prevent others mm -hmm. from looting, you know, then you can give me a title, you know, archaeologist or protector of, of, of heritage or something. I don't know, but, yeah. but I, I certainly see, I don't, I don't see games getting away from this kind of looting behavior or whatnot, but I think that games can kind of meet us halfway by allowing us these moral choices and rewarding us. You know, if we happen to do, you know, the quote unquote right thing when it comes to, to preserving, um, you know, heritage within a game. Yeah. What kind of game do you think translates best for archaeology? What kind of like I, I, you've obviously mentioned your love of multi uh, massive multiplayer 
online RPGs. But I mean, is there, is there are there any other types of games that you see gelling quite well with archaeology? Um, I you know I I don't you know, hmm. I think I think really having something that incorporates archaeology as part of the game, um, whatever it might be, is is important and also fun. You know, like in Wildstar, there is an explorer track uh, where you can explore yeah. worlds and find cool stuff. And, and so, you know, that's a step in the right direction. I have a feeling that No Man's Sky is going to do the same thing. Um, EVE Online has an archaeology profession uh, where you can go out and that's all you do. Um, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, but as far as, like, first-person shooters and whatnot... Um, I don't necessarily see it. Shouldn't archaeology in video games be more than just finding cool stuff? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, part of this, I mean, is is understanding the culture in which you're inhabiting, and that's what's appealing to me for Destiny that's coming out is because you know you're dealing with this race of you know folks called the Guardians, mm-hmm. and and you're exploring other worlds to learn about them. And in doing so, it's the act of exploration and the act of, of not finding stuff per se, but of, of being involved and being observant that you're actually learning about, um, you know, about about this world. Um, and you can also piece together histories in other games. I, I keep coming back to Elder Scrolls because I think they really they really nailed it um, with this kind of exploration as a gateway to understanding history. Um, where, you know, you can read, you can find runes, you can explore, you know, destroy buildings and temples and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and, and really, you know, understand, you know, to a pretty fine grain, who built this, why they built it, yeah. roughly when it was built, and, and uh, what happened after. Um, and, and that's just really exciting to me. So more of that. I don't care if it's an MMO or, or you know, just a role-playing game or whatever. It's just mm-hmm. do that. Now I tell you one other thing um, is <laughs> yeah. is uh, these this this kind of citizen science initiatives um, that are out there right now. There are games where you can go and identify plants or butterflies or whatever um, as a member of the crowd, and you play these games that give you rewards and are kind of fun. But you're helping scientists actually do the real work. Mm-hmm. You know what if uh, what if we kind of bridge that gap with archaeology? And I think we're starting to do that. There's a pepperology project I think out of Oxford or something that that uh, people can go and identify letters on papyrus and and that helps build things. It's not really a game, but it's kind of fun. It's yeah. like a puzzle game or a casual game, for example. And so if we do more casual games or if we do games that have some kind of a plot, but at the same time we're helping archaeologists do real science, whether it's pot mending or identifying shirts or reading things, you know, cuneiform on tablets or something, then then you know why not and then build a plot around it that sounds actually really interesting well thank you very much for uh being on the show uh i just i don't want to run it too (laughs) too long if anybody's listening and wants to say something i'm pretty sure you can answer ask in the comments uh leave your thoughts there uh if people want to check out archeo gaming where do they need to go uh archeo gaming and that's a-r-c-h-a-e-o G-A-M-I-N-G dot WordPress dot com. Okay, and you have Twitter as well? The Twitter is at Archeogaming, or people can tweet at me directly at A.D. Reinhard. That's A-D as in David, R-E-I-N-H-A-R-D. Brilliant. Thank you very much, and I'm sure this conversation could probably go on forever. Thank you very much for your contribution today, and good luck in future things, in future excavations. No, thank you very much. 